to be able to share together some thoughts from God's Word as we contemplate uh, our participation in the Kingdom of God. As well as a challenge to remove (coughs) potentially from our mind our preconceptions that can accumulate, whether it be from our upbringing, our experiences, our study, social paradigms or guidelines, we find that many times we tend to get into a frame of mind where we expect certain things from God. And we sometimes forget or fail to remember that God is not to be limited, uh, will not be limited by our conceptions, but that he will actually, I find throughout Scripture, it seems that he kind of enjoys um, reminding us that he is not confined. Every once in a while, he'll make it clear that he is God and he will do that which he pleases and accomplish his purpose. Paul told the Philippians that he that hath begun a good work in you will perfect it to the day of Jesus Christ. And so many times we think, oh, that must mean he's going to do this. That must mean that, that you know, this, this is what's going to happen because we, we color it by our own experiences. And we forget that God um, is the only one who can actually design um, his purposes. And sometimes those purposes are accomplished through very bright and cheery things that give us butterflies and goosebumps and happy feelings. And we go, praise Jesus, hallelujah, what a wonderful day. And then other times, he takes some very dark threads to highlight his work and weaves them into the picture. And they're very things that that we sometimes recoil against and and we rebel against and we want to say what what what's going on this can't be right and yet he uses it all because he is the only one who is in charge of that design and uh we've used to use metaphors akin to society at the time and 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 that of a weaving and a pattern Um, was appropriate in this time, but today I'd like to update that um, to to have us imagine, thank you very much, have us imagine uh, each one of our lives just a a pixel, one little dot of light on God's giant screen. And sometimes he chooses that we shine in bright colors. Sometimes he needs that pixel to be black or very dark to accomplish the pattern he chooses. And so what? 
if it's going to expand his kingdom, it's going to accomplish his purpose, isn't that truly what must bring us joy? And Paul spoke to the Colossians <clears throat> some references to God's nature. And tonight I'd just like to, for all of us, to dwell together a little bit in Colossians chapter 1 um, on a few principles that possibly will encourage us. It's exciting to hear of the many activities and going on in <clears throat> this area and, and how the Lord is, is using Boulevard Bible Chapel to reach this community. And it's encouraging to see how He brings people and works together through them and some go and some stay and some move around and so on and so forth. And it's all part of His plan. Um, I remember this being one of those first places where I got my feet wet in preaching the Word. John Holiday would call me up and have me come up. And, and certainly it was, a, it was a small group. Maybe the upside was having Bill Bradford take you out to dinner afterwards. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, anyone who would uh, look at the assembly then would say, well, won't be long now before we hear that it's gone. And here we are 35, 40 years later, and God is not done uh, by a long shot. He, he is the one who orchestrates His will. He is the one who carries out His will in each one of our lives. And we just get to hold on to the back bumper as He cruises along. In Colossians chapter 1, I'd just like us to make memory of very familiar phrases because it brings to our hearts uh, hopefully a greater understanding of our utilization by our, a marvelous God, a God that is um, always proactive and developing within us a transparency that will allow His Spirit to shine every day all the more through our limited and continually flawed humanity, <clears throat> he seeks for that light to come through. And we remember that Paul prayed often, and we have several of his prayers recorded, just as an interesting side note. As you look through the New Testament and you isolate Paul's prayers, uh, we notice that there's not a whole lot of mention of physical things, be it health, wealth, or things like that. His prayers are short, to the point, and always dwell on the development of God's nature within us to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be filled with His Spirit, to be filled with the understanding of Scripture. Uh, these are the things that consume Paul's prayer time. And he expresses this to the Colossians, <clears throat> verse 9, For this cause we also, 
since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Verse 10, that ye may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strength with it all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Knowledge of his will and the knowledge of God. Why are those the keystone issues? And why should they be for any of us? Everybody seems to have an opinion, don't they? (laughs) Everybody seems to have an opinion. Sometimes those opinions don't match up. Um, children differ in their opinions from their parents. Husbands have different opinions from their wives. Sister so-and-so has a very different opinion than sister what's-her-name. And sometimes those differences of opinions bring about a little distance, a little friction, some arguing maybe, some discussion. Um, And why does that even matter? We find ourselves wanting our will to be made known. Because that is the crux of the issue of our pride. That is the centerpiece of our significance. From a human standpoint, if our opinion doesn't matter, we deduce from that that we don't matter. That our presence is superfluous. If our spouse isn't going to give ear to what we have to say, then what's the point? If our boss isn't going to listen to our opinion, then, you know, what value am I to the enterprise, to the business? If the other elders in the assembly aren't going to listen to my opinion and, and understand that I really know what's going on, then why even be here? Because we attach significance and value to the exercise of our opinions and our thoughts and and our will. And so Paul says to the Colossians, I pray that you will seek and abound in the knowledge of His will, of God's will. Because God has only one opinion. He has only one will. 
And if each one of us are willing to seek his will, then we will end up all seeking the very same thing. But to understand God's will, Paul says, we need to understand an increase in the knowledge of God himself. And we can all recall the days gone by uh, those of us who have lived a, a few years back when we first started courting or dating our spouse, didn't know a whole lot about each other. We were attracted, we were fascinated, but we didn't necessarily know what we were getting into. We didn't really know each other. And... Uh, few years go by, maybe a couple of decades, and, and we begin to grow in the knowledge and begin to understand what makes her happy, what makes him happy. And if you know someone, then you can understand, you can second guess, you can be stuck at the food court in the mall and have no cell phone signal and still know what to get them for takeout dinner that night and, and nail it, right? You wouldn't have known that two weeks into the dating scene. <laughs> but after a few years, you know them well enough. And, and this is the kind of acquaintance that Paul is praying for <clears throat> regarding the knowledge of God that we become acquainted with God's nuances, with God's person. Let's go back to Exodus briefly. Exodus chapter 33. We find one of those interesting situations, and most of you uh, remember and, and recall that outstanding event in the life of Moses where <clears throat> he expresses a desire. To know God. He says in chapter 33, verse 17, he says, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And every time we think of God and his glory, we immediately begin to think of the lightning and the shining lights and the thunder and the, you know, and the powerful manifestations of, of God's glory that man can't even look at with a human eye. And uh, <clears throat> there were times when that was revealed. And certainly one would think that this is going to be one of those moments because the lightning's been happening and the thunder has been echoing and the mountain has been shaking and, and the fire has been burning the top of the mountain. And we go, oh, this is going to be one of those moments where Moses is just going to get blown away by the visual light and sound effects. And uh, God says to him, <clears throat> uh, that's, that's really not going to happen. I'm going to make my goodness pass before you, but I'm going to have to hide you in the rock and cover you with my hand because if you see me, you die. You're just not going to be able to handle it. Human body isn't wired that way. It's just going to overstress all your uh, sensory 
uh, nerves and, and you're just not going to be able to handle it. I'm going to cover you up and I'm going to pass before you and I am going to do this. I am going to show you my glory, but not in the way you're expecting. I am going to proclaim my name. I'm going to tell you who I am so that you may know me. And so the next day, he goes up to the mountain as instructed by God. And it says in verse 5 of chapter 34, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Paul, uh, Moses might have been looking for a visual revelation. God says there's something better than that. I am going to give you understanding. I'm going to give you information. With this, I am going to show you who I truly am. I'm going to tell you who I am. <clears throat> and the Lord passed by before him in verse 6 and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now, here's God, creator of the universe. And here's one of his creatures who is insatiably seeking knowledge of his person. God is going to involve himself in a very unique moment where, and it's only happened a few times in history up until this point, where he is going to actually verbally communicate with mankind. This is, this is big. This is God revealing. It's coming from the source, from God. It's not somebody wondering about God and trying to get an explanation together and try and figure things out. No, this is God himself being willing to expound on his very nature. And what's the lead off? What is the very first thing he wants Moses and therefore the people who will hear about this later to know about himself? What is it about God's nature and God's character that is so important that it's going to get top billing in the revelation process? It's going to get first place. <clears throat> it's going to be the first thing that somebody is going to find out about him. Merciful. Gracious. Long-suffering. Abundant in goodness. In truth. Mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And somehow... Many times when we want to represent God, we want to invert it. <clears throat> we want to lead with the scary part. <laughs> and, and it is there. <clears throat> it's, it's right after that. 
God says, okay, after that, after you understand my mercy and my, my grace and my goodness, <clears throat> he says, yes, certainly, I will by no means clear the guilty. I will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to boot. I take a hard stance against rebellion and against those who reject. Verily I say unto you, said Christ, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that refuses to believe on the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God is upon him. God doesn't take kindly to rejection and rebellion and disobedience. He says, He rejects the proud. He's willing to come down hard on anybody who lifts up their will against his. But he gives grace to the humble, to the meek. Because <clears throat> it is in his nature to first offer his grace. That gets first place. When you come to God seeking him, the first thing you see is God's grace and His goodness, His mercy, His love. While we were yet sinners, He loved us, sent a Son to die for us. If it had been the other way around, Paul says to the Romans, <clears throat> if it were not for His mercy, we would have all been consumed. It is inherent in the relationship between man and his Creator that if God were not this way then we would never be able to approach. But anyone who does approach God is going to find, first and foremost, a gracious, forgiving, loving God, full of goodness. And if, having known that aspect of God, you choose to reject it, then prepare for the almighty hand of judgment. And that's the message. And that's not only the message of the gospel. That is the message entwined here in Colossians chapter 1 regarding our understanding of God. And why is it important that we acquire the knowledge of God? <clears throat> Let's go back then to Colossians chapter 1 because he speaks of our participation in that very nature that having understood God and having appreciated the knowledge of Him that we would walk worthy <clears throat> That means that we understand how it is that we died to self. How it is, and he's going to go on in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 8, uh, to speak of, of, of having to set aside and die to self and, be, and, and set aside, divest ourselves of the old man and, and dress ourselves with the new. Because God needs... He doesn't need, I'm sorry... God desires that we act on His behalf in projecting 
his person, his nature, his very self. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. When we beheld his glory, what did mankind see when Jesus came? It was only a, a few disciples that got that special moment up on the mountain where they saw that Shekinah glory. The rest of mankind saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What was the light of that glory? It was the compassion, the mercy, the forgiveness, the long-suffering. How many times did he have to put up with Peter and his shenanigans? He was even willing to, to play along with Judas for three and a half years, knowing what he was going to do. And yet not a word, not even a little dig, you know? He, he never let on that he knew what was going down. Full of patience and long-suffering. He was willing to reach out a hand to the leper that no man dared to touch and say, I'm willing. Be healed. He was willing to extend grace to so many that came to ask of Him healing, forgiveness. He showed mercy to thousands. With patience, He wept over Jerusalem and its religious leaders who rejected Him. For three and a half years, he showed the glory of God. That which must needs come first. Patience, goodness, kindness, long-suffering. That was the glory of God that we beheld in the Word who dwelt among us. That was the glory of God that just was there. And anyone who looked at Jesus would come to that conclusion. Many did. Nicodemus came to him and said, We know that you are the Son of God. The things that you do, certainly there were powerful, extraordinary miracles being done, but they were done with grace not with prideful showmanship. He many times would try and sneak away before anybody discovered what he had done. He said, don't, don't, no, 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 don't, don't go blabbing around that I did this or that. He just wanted to serve. He wanted to show God's love to the world. So Paul has grasped this in understanding the essential necessities of the communication of the gospel of Jesus Christ <clears throat> he says to the Romans look if anybody seeks to know God in chapter 1 he says I believe in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ there's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe Jew first and then the Gentile he says because the God of this world has revealed himself and 
even those things which are unseen about God are seen in the works of his creation. The danger is that man chooses to exalt his own imagination and to pridefully exalt himself and worship the creature rather than the creator. To put his will against God's will. To say, no, I think it's more important. Or I think it's more valuable. Or I, I, I. And what we're doing with every one of those arguments is we're saying we know better than God. We get puffed up in our vain imagination and we think that we know better than God. And so it's a insidious, it's a creepy little fungus that grows in our heart. Um, the, the, every time we, we, we think we got rid of it, all of a sudden there it is back again. And, uh, and we think we know better. And we say, well, yeah, I understand that I'm supposed to forgive, or I understand I'm supposed to be merciful, I understand God wants me to be gracious, I understand that I'm supposed to be patient and, and long-suffering and all this, but this is just too much. This is it. That's my limit. 293 times, that's all I can forgive. Um, whatever the case may be. What we're doing is we're not really necessarily addressing the facts or the issues at hand. Uh, what we're doing is, before anything else, deep down inside our heart, we are saying, we know better than God. And we would so much love to participate in His judgment and condemnation of this world. We, I think, would much more enjoy the Conan approach. You know, the big sword and, and <laughs> just go around the neighborhood, just, you know, hurrying sinners to their judgment. Um, that's not what God has chosen for us. He says to the Colossians, <clears throat> we need to understand God and we need knowledge of His will. And having accomplished that, he encourages us with these words. The prayers that we, in verse 11, be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Now, as we have talked about some of the natural tendencies we have, I think we can all admit to the fact that to be able to carry out his will to be able to show that long suffering that kindness that graciousness and the patience it takes the power of God doesn't it <laughs> it really does it, it, we can't do it it's not within us it's not in our nature and it's not uh, part of, of, of the energy that we contain within ourselves it has to come from him we have to be strengthened with his power because we just can't do it. We have to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Unto what? The slaying of the unrighteous in the nations. Of, well, no, he says, he goes back right to it. He says, this is what you're going to need the strength for. This is what you're going to need the, the glorious powerful for. It's, it's unto all patience and long-suffering. He gets it. He knows exactly what we need his power for. 
We need His power to be patient. We need His power to be able to suppress that desire within ourselves to express our opinion and lash out. And We need that power to sustain the long suffering. <laughs> the interminable endurance to on and on, day after day, undertake the burden that is maybe our neighbor, our mother-in-law, our boss, sister so-and-so, brother what's-his-name, whatever it is. He says, I'll, I'll give you the power. It's there. You can be strengthened with it. But I need you to understand that's what I want from you. Because flashing lights and thunder, everybody pretty much understands that. You shake the ground a little bit and people go running. You know? <laughs> oh, God. You know, first things out of their mouth. Uh, I mean, it, it's easy to transmit that part of God. Just... Uh, few natural phenomenons, you know, blow a little wind off the ocean, knock a few houses down, and people are crying out to God. God, God can do that real easy. Projecting His mercy and long-suffering and patience and kindness. How does He do that? Because the sun comes up every day, and, and it's a wonderful world, but people really don't get that part of God just by looking around. The moment he shakes the ground, oh yeah, everybody cries out to God. But his mercy and long-suffering and patience, that, he says, I have chosen to place within you. I've chosen to put my spirit in with you so, so people can see it on your face. So that they, they can actually see God's love in your eyes, in your gestures. They can hear it in your voice. The gentleness. The meekness. The kindness. Those are things God has chosen to utilize His children as vessels to convey that part of His nature. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. It's got to be visible. You may have experienced this, and just let me give you an illustration, witness. There, um, maybe, maybe you know somebody like this, but uh, at Emmaus there were a couple of professors that I had the opportunity to know. Um, one of them <clears throat> never had a class with him. But just going down the stairs, you walk by him in the hallway in the morning, and his face just shone. It just had a look in his eyes that told you he'd been with Jesus. I don't remember a lot about the year I was there. 
I don't know how much I learned, maybe not very much at all. It's kind of a whirlwind of activity, and it's a lot of fun. Managed to escape unscathed. But if you ask me to look back, what impressed me most was day after day seeing that man's face and thinking to myself, whatever happens, I want to be like him when I grow up. I want to be like that. I want people to be able to see Jesus in me visibly. And that's what Paul is aiming at here in Colossians. He says that you may be strengthened, that you will have patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Peter says, look, anybody can suffer when, you know, when they have it coming. That's natural. Uh, and the reactions, the natural reactions to, to, to suffering, uh, you know, does not set you apart. What sets you apart is when you can rejoice in suffering unjustly. When you have been wrong, when you have been maligned, and you can rejoice. When you have endured trials and tribulations and you can rejoice. Paul's letter to the Philippians is all about that. He says, look, your citizenship is not of this world, but it's in heaven from whence we await the glorious and marvelous appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We, we are called to endure with joyfulness. And he gives us the power. Second Corinthians chapter 4, just in conclusion, uh, a passage that I believe uh, speaks to the heart of this issue. This weekend I got to see a brother that I knew only briefly 36, 37 years ago, and he was one scary dude. <laughs> and this weekend I looked in his eyes and I could see the love of Jesus just flowing from him. Um, that's what God wants. He wants to take each one of us and channel through us those things which are not easy to see about God. You go out and you do an interview right here on the boulevard, stop 100 people and ask them what their opinion is of God, and it's going to be scary for the most part. The vast majority of them are going to talk about God in terms of somebody who frightens them. And that's exactly what the enemy is trying to accomplish. He wants to make the image of God be one that frightens. It's our job to counter that. We are called because God wants His true image to shine forth and that image is placed within us by the faith in Jesus Christ. He places His Spirit within us. And God, verse 6 of Second Corinthians 4, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light, here it is, the knowledge of the glory of of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is what God has commended to us. A lot of people, millions of people around this world, 
think of a higher power, whatever it is that they name it. And that is the essential element that runs throughout any man-made religion. God is scary. Okay, and God's the same. You know, that is the furthest thing from that. That is a lie from the pit. God is love. First and foremost, God is mercy. He is grace. He is long-suffering. He is patience. If you reject all of that, then yes, He is just and righteous and will send you to hell for eternity. But that's not and should not be the first impression. The first impression people should get about God through us are those things that we have been talking about. So verse 7, he says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, very unattractive, regular old earthen pots. As one contemporary Christian group uh, brings it home, jars of clay. That's all we are. Because it's not about the jar. It's not about the vessel. It's about Jesus Christ. Okay, so we don't want people getting confused. And he says, uh, We have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And what does he continue on to say? We're troubled on every side. And he goes through a list of things here. Not distressed, we're perplexed, not in despair, persecuted, not forsaken. Cast down, not destroyed. Persecuted, forsaken, cast down, bearing about in the body the dying of Christ, of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus may be manifested in our body. That's right. We're going to get put through the mill. With what purpose? That the life of Christ, the life of Jesus, comes out. And what people get to see when we get put through the ringer <laughs> is God's grace, patience, mercy, long-suffering with joy. That's going to be the convincing factor. And yes, they need to know about hell and they need to know about God's coming judgment. But note that percentage-wise, even in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, first came the love. And when the heart is open, then it's a lot more receptive to the message of salvation. But they... I mean, it's just in a very practical, you know, way in which we approach somebody, you know. They can look in our eyes. What is it? 247 micro muscles and, uh, you know, it, it, we all know whether we're experts at it or not. We look at somebody's face and we know what's coming, you know. <laughs> uh, those, those expressions are there and we know whether we're in trouble or if this is going to be a good thing. And this is what he wants. He wants to be able to control our face. And we think, well, that's ridiculous. He wants us to live righteous, holy lives. He wants us to not sin. He wants to, you know, 
if we had time, we'd go into the Sermon on the Mount and really see that he was moving the bar way over there. He's saying, look, I need your heart. Because through your heart, I can, I can actually control your face. Because the face is a product of the heart. And what's in here is what is out here. And I can actually get your face to the point where somebody's not going to run the other direction when you start walking towards them. Okay, and if I can, if I can make that face, uh, you know, a little more cheerful, and joyful, and, and loving, uh, then people aren't going to be so scared that they are willing to listen to you, and and you can share God's love with them. So yeah, it, it is physical. Actually, He wants this earthen vessel. He wants to control it to such an extent that that we're not scary. <laughs> that that God is no longer frightening. He is loving and gracious and kind, and uh, people want to be around us and fellowship together with us, and we get to share God's love with them. And so I want to encourage us today to to make it a priority, uh, as Paul prayed for the Colossians, know him. It's, it takes work. We need to study his word, as we heard yesterday. We need to get into the word and... And, and know about him. We need to know his will, and uh, and that knowledge will bring about in us a greater understanding of who we need to be, and be able to carry out in our lives, as Paul said, walk worthy of our calling, which is to be his representatives, his ambassadors in this world, to spread the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in these simple earthen vessels we walk around in that they may see Jesus. Father, thank you for being so patient with us as day by day, year after year, we uh, so many times have to come back again and again to the very basic principles of your interaction with us uh, to be daily reminded of our need to be gentle, and loving, and long-suffering, and patient, because that is who you are. And thank you, Father, for uh, designing your creation in such a way that we are a part of your plan. Way before the foundation of the world, before time even existed, you had, you had chosen us to be to the praise of your glory. And we thank you for that privilege. Help us to be faithful and to carry out that work. Wherever it is that you place us, whatever circumstances we're in, whatever country we're in, or uh, whatever our, our lives hold for us, that as the rain falls upon the just and the unjust, that we would glorify you by lifting up our hearts full of praise and thanksgiving and joyfulness for those things that you allow in our lives for the sake of your glory. We thank you for your word tonight and ask that it would speak to each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray this.